0: So many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch, slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then, hey, don't worry, I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. Hmm, Nikki, here's the thing. Okay, here's something that I don't think many people know about you. So I don't think many people know that you actually became a mum at the age of 16 and your son was wearing a little fisherman's outfit at your graduation night, which is epic. Now, for me, being a dad myself, (laughs) I know how hard it is. And I'm 34. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So what's one thing that you learned from being a mum at that age And what it gave you that without it, it wouldn't have led to the human being I'm kicking it with right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that I learned that my success, specifically my confidence, cannot be based entirely or even too much on other people's validation. I had sort of already gotten the message because, listen, I was not popular in high school. So I'd already gotten the message That, you know, I would have to tune out, you know, negativity and all of that. But I was still very much needing positive reinforcement, right? Needing people to tell me that I was good at this or whatever. The way that people react to someone, a woman becoming pregnant at the age of 16, is they kind of write you off. So if I had still been looking for that validation, I would not have made it. It required me. To believe in myself. It required me to let open wounds scab over. You know what I'm saying? And just just keep doing it. And this is something that it required me to do, requires me to do every day. So it was not a, an about face. You know, it was not, you know, I, I learned this thing and now everything's great. Every single day I have to remember that feeling, that feeling of, you know, I was at church, I used to be the chairperson of the teen abstinence ministry. I become pregnant at 16, which, let's say, complicates things. And uh, nobody wanted to talk to me. And he was like, I was a leper, you know. And yeah, so it was bad. So, again, I didn't have any of the folks from just before, just weeks previous, you know, telling me how great, how much potential that I had. So that was that dried up. Same thing. Teachers, everyone was like, oh, we lost another one. <laughs> And and it can be very easy to think of yourself that way if what you've been going on this whole time without realizing it was this external motivation and affirmation. But yeah, that wasn't an option for me anymore. So it had to come from me. I had to get real gritty.
0: Well, I mean, there's probably four words that come to mind when you share that and it's breaking the status quo. And I'll be real with you. I'll level with you right now. Normally I do this whole big introduction for people when they come in on the show. But with you, I led with a question and here's why people, I wanted you to hear the way Nikki communicates before I even introduce her. because I was like, you'll know exactly what this show is about. <laughs> Once you hear her speak, because you're very eloquent. You're very punchy. You tell great stories and you're so articulate. So ladies and gents, you are here to hear from Nikki Ivy about how to become a high impact communicator, aka a magnetic communicator for your next sales presentation. Now, Nikki has done many things in the different seasons of her life. And in this season, she is the director, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, execution over at JB Sales Training. And you know, in a previous life, I know that you've been in IC, you've been a CRO, you've even worked in the world of marketing. So we want to get dig, I suppose I want to dig deep into that and see how it's helped you become a better communicator. But without further wait, let's get into it, my friend. Now, it was funny when I was digging deep into your story, there was one lady, which I felt was like a bit of a hero for you, but probably not given the love that she deserves. Right. And this hero is Miss Simpson. So Miss Simpson was your teacher at school. Right. And she was the first person that you looked at that was communicating with swag in a way that made people really listen to her. So I'm curious, what's one thing you learned from Miss Simpson that you still do today because of what she taught you?
1: Eye contact, Mm. like not a shy way. So we have, if you observe people, particularly in, in the US, if you observe people when it comes to nonverbal communication, specifically eye contact, there is a tendency to sort of coyly look away right if you make eye contact with someone you smile a little bit right this unassuming bit no no she wanted you to know that she was speaking to you and that what she was saying was important and that you listening was going to make an impact in your life she wasn't talking for her she was talking for you to get this message and it i got the message right and i saw how folks far her senior right Would stop and listen to her when she spoke. And that was the impression. I said, I want it. I want that. I want people to listen when I speak because I believe that I have something to say that is worthy. And more importantly, I believe that I have something to say that is going to enrich the lives of the people who I'm saying it to. That's kind of a bold thing to think as a kindergartner. Uh, (laughs) It's it's, it's kind of a bold thing to think anyway, because again, there is this unassuming sort of ho-hum modesty that we're supposed to have about our gifts. And if communication is your gift, you do yourself a disservice when you do that. And so watching her helped me understand that. You know, I don't have to be shy. People treat you, people will reward you for shyness a lot of time when you were a kid. Oh, that's so sweet. She's shy. So I I tried that, (laughs) but no, it didn't work for me anyway. I don't think I could pull off shy if I tried and it didn't make me happy. It didn't make me feel like I was living according to my gifts. And that's, that's very important to me because at the end of the day, like that's all I have. If, if all of the gifts that I have were some form of currency, my ability to communicate would be platinum, right? It would be the black card. It'd be the thing that gets me, you know, that opens doors that otherwise would be closed to me. So I I feel fortunate that I was exposed to that and sort of figured that out at such a young age because it's driven me. Um, throughout my my
0: life i think it was an interview with jay-z and kevin hart don't quote me on this but jay-z was saying something along the lines of it's people's jobs to really find out what their gift is and figure out a way to operate through it every single day now i'm pretty sure it was jay-z or kevin hart and i paraphrase it now and again but it really reminds me of what you just mentioned there but also from the story that I glossed over, actually, pretty quickly at the beginning, because I wanted to intro you, but it really reeks of alignment, right? And I feel like for you, communicating with authenticity, using that as your vehicle to create change in different seasons of your life is really like your way to live through your gifts. And I suppose communication is your vehicle, actually, really, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. It very much is. I I had a streak going on before uh, before COVID.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, And that was, I had never gone into an in-person interview mm-hmm. and not been offered the job. If they met me, they were going to believe me. And I need them to like me. And maybe it was too early for them to understand me. But they were going to believe me. And again, so it's not just like I learned that lesson. It was that I had it reinforced with things like what I'm what I'm mentioning right now throughout my my life and then of course I I studied communication I studied broadcasting and journalism in college that's what's my what my degree is in and there was just you know a matter of applying sort of the the science and the the hard facts to what I was already sort of inclined to do and and to be it's You know, it's the I love people ask me, you know, what makes you happy? You know, words, wigs and women in charge. And there's a reason why I say words first, because words have the power to move people in ways that, you know, so many other things that we try in order to move people don't. It's it is words are intimate. They are specific, you know, and to hear the right ones on the right day can save your life. And maybe that's dramatic for some people, but that has been my experience. Again, the entirety of my my life and my career.
0: Well, I mean, even when you're speaking, ladies and gents, if you... If you rewind that for a set you'll even hear the emphasis and the pause and the inflection at certain points like you can really see how focused you are on mastery on this topic now i know that you really had three choices right you were either going to be a lawyer you're going to write commercial jingles or you were going to be a journalist but the common thread between all of those three things is what is communication right so Really, you've been miyagi'd, haven't you? Like you've really been miyagi'd where you are secretly learning this for many, many years. So tell me, how much of this skill for you is intentional mastery versus innate running with your talent?
1: Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. I think the style is what is innate, right? There is a, you mentioned the inflections, right? Like facial expressions, all these things, what I'm enthusiastic about, what I feel a strong conviction around. Those are things that I can't stop, right? Those are things that just sort of come out the way that they come out. But understanding when and where to apply them, that's the intentional part. And for what reason, right? To apply them. Because, you know, I don't want to use my gifts for evil, right? Uh, So... So that's been what's uh, what I've had to be intentional about. And between the background that we just talked about and, you know, my experience in, in sales, that's where you learn that intention piece. That's where the sort of trial and error comes into play, right? Like, when are the situations where I need to try and sort of contract that natural exuberance, right? It, I wouldn't read the room, right? <laughs> things like that. And when are the times when I recognize that I'm interacting with someone who would feed off of or be fed by that energy and is now a place to, to apply it. So that's really how it happens, right? There's this style piece that is intrinsic. And then there is this science slash substance piece uh, that just comes from things I've learned and understanding how to apply
0: them. Was there a specific speaker growing up that you would binge? So when I was a kid, I just remember I would sit on my laptop. Actually, not even a kid, like early 20s. I would love it. I would literally sit on my laptop and watch tons of specific speeches. And secretly, I'd be dissecting them. So was there somebody who you looked up to growing up? You're like, damn, I want to model that.
1: OK, so this is where, this is where I might lose some people. I was born in 1981. So I grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s, there was a phenomenon on TV and it was TV preachers. Okay. There was a TV preacher named Jimmy Swaggart, right?
0: I love that.
1: Like a lot of his uh, his ilk, he's, of course, had some kind of scandal and he's gone now. But okay. I didn't know that at the time. So child Nikki is looking at the television and I am watching Jimmy Swaggart hold this stadium full of churchgoers, right? Because it's, it's televised, but it's a whole thing. The stadium full of churchgoers, one man on a stage, one microphone, one message. And not only is everybody in the stadium engaged, my mom watches this every day. And we better be quiet when Jimmy Swaggart is on. You know what I mean? So, so there again, there's this theme. When you talk, people listen. And why are they listening? Why are you saying it? But that was where a lot of my, my sort of love for that authenticity, I started to understand, well, what is working for Jimmy Swaggart? Why are people tuning in? Why am I, why do I feel something in my chest when I listen to this man talk? Whether I even understand everything he's talking about or not, this time I ain't read a single word of the Bible. But when this man's talking to me, I feel it. I feel something. And it becomes less about the messenger at that point you know, uh, which is actually something I, that was reinforced in journalism school. Uh, the burden of the message lies with the messenger. It's something I have to remind myself of in a sales process. Stop me if you've heard this one right early in my sales career. You'd hear uh, very frustrated novice sellers. They get off the phone and they go around the water cooler and they're like, uh, these prospects, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. And the thing is, like, as tough a pill as it is to swallow, right, if they're not getting the message, then you as the messenger are responsible to go back and, and fix that. So anyway, I tuned in to what Jimmy Swaggart was doing. I saw a lot of preachers growing up, a lot of black preachers. Jimmy Swaggart happened to not be, be black. But anyway, all of that sort of got in me and I was sold, right? This is how you move people. This is how you, you reach people. And then the other thing was music. Music... Is where these things come together, right? You're hearing, and it's specifically hip hop, right? You're hearing use of seamless use of literary devices, right? Internal rhyme scheme, right? Things like metaphors, analogies, all of that. And they're wielding these things as weapons. And then the style and swagger is on top of it. And then what they're saying, It hits right here. It's authenticity. They're telling you about where they're from. They're telling you why it's good, why it's bad, why they're loyal to it, why you should pay attention. There's no greater purpose, I think, right? Than to have a message that you believe will move people in a positive way in their life and have the confidence and the conviction to deliver that message.
0: Mm, I do know, and I feel like it's the it's the confidence and the conviction piece. Because I think a lot of people struggle to speak with confidence and conviction because they don't know what they believe in, right? Which is when people are so open about what they believe in and the why behind it, people gravitate towards that. That's how you really create, in my opinion, anyway, movements around missions. Now, what's funny is, is you're just not a great communicator. Actually, it's not even funny, but it's just the truth. You're not just a great communicator, in real life, as you've mentioned. But, you know, you and I connected many years ago. I'm not sure if you remember this when we first connected. You do? Yeah. So I think it was like the sales... Sales success. That's it. That's it. Sales success summit. And we went back and forth. And for some reason, you disappeared from my newsfeed for a long time. And I don't know why. It's just LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn's algorithm. And the other week, somebody hit me up uh, on a post I wrote about you need to have Nikki on the show. I was like, oh yeah, of course, I remember Nikki. So anyway, I'm stalking, in a healthy way, your content, <laughs> right? And I see all the different videos you put out on TikTok, et cetera. And look, you're a great communicator on video as well, right? As well as in person. And I think that skill can be often hard because they're two different mediums. When it comes to being an impactful communicator on video as well as in person, What is one thing you personally do differently on video than you do if you're on stage in person, for example? What do you dial down? What do you overproduce, underproduce?
1: So when you're in front of a live crowd, you can lose the intimacy. And I think that, you know, at a certain level or when it's appropriate, intimacy in communication can really, really hit, right? And again, I say this as a person who loves music. I remember very vividly the first time that I listened to Eminem's Marshall Mathers LP. Oh yeah. I sat there and I put the CD in my CD-ROM of my gateway. Uh, (laughs) that's, That's what the age are dealing with right now. And I put on headphones, big over ear headphones like you're wearing right now. And I just sat there and listened and it felt like he was telling me these stories. So that intimacy, Right, stuck with me, and and I think about that when I'm looking at a video, right? I think about how are people going to hear this message and that it impacts my tone, it impacts my cadence, right? It improves those things. Uh, But in in addition to the intimacy of what it sounds like, I take some cues from unlikely sources like Britney Spears. Uh, If you've ever watched a Britney Spears video, she does this, I don't know if people will see the video, they might just hear it, but she does this thing where she looks directly into the camera and she makes a face like she's thinking of something. She means what she's saying. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and she, she, she communicates so much with just a look. And so when I'm on video, right, again, in addition to the, the intimacy of someone speaking directly into your ears, making that eye contact, but not just a stare, of course, right? Something where it's like, look, every part of me means this message. And I understand you and I are in on something together, right? That's what this eye contact communicates. You and I understand something that maybe many other people don't. And that's what we came here to talk about today. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, it's the smiling with your eyes, I suppose, is the best way to put it, right? It, oh, yeah. Tyra Banks,
1: the hey, yes. yeah,
0: exactly. I didn't know who was called the <laughs> smiles, but okay, I like that. Yeah. It, did, <laughs> yeah. Did you ever do theater growing up or not?
1: I did. Yeah. I did. Um, I did a couple shows in in high school. Nothing to to write home about. But it is. Right. Oh oh, kindergarten. Okay. Uh, I got to my very first memory of this. I'm standing on. It's a Christmas program, and I'm standing on stage, and it's very dark, and there is a spotlight on me, and I am playing Mrs. Claus, and there's the teacher in the wings, and she's like, "It's your turn. It's your turn. You have a choice at that moment." I'm feeling it in my chest now, right? Do I go cry or pee my pants like so many other children who have stood on this stage? Or do I make it happen? And I raise a little microphone up to my face. Tick-a-talk, it's six o'clock. It's time for Santa to go. Anyway, so <laughs> so that, again, I understood this is communication. Yeah. This, is, this is me getting to like move people. I'm doing what Mrs. Simpson did. I'm doing what Britney Spears does. You know, I'm doing what Jimmy Swagger does, right? Mm. What Malcolm X does, all of these things.
0: This is dope. What great. I'd never expected you to say all of those influences. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Uh, true story. My first ever CD that I bought was Britney Spears, Hit Me Baby One More Time. i got to own that. I've got to own that shit. I love. Honestly, I used to love Britney Spears, but uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to my love for her and I don't know what happened to her. But yeah, there we go. But um, so let's let's migrate now to thinking about sales presentations, you know, and I think One of the things that I see that I'd love to get your take on is I feel like sellers feel as though it's illegal to show up as who they really are. Because there's a a ton of fear about alienating prospects and showcasing parts of your personality and losing the deal. So you end up moving towards a watered down version of yourself that connects with nobody. That's my opinion. What do you think about that? Do you agree, disagree? How do you view it?
1: No, I agree. I think it's a huge risk not bringing yourself into the conversation. And here's why, right? How people react to you, every single reaction, some things they say, their body language, how they look at you, these are data points. And those data points are telling you how they like to communicate. So if they're not, if I show up as myself, right, myself in my case, meaning you know this this energy these pop culture references and all of that and you know they're giving me dead eyes i have learned <laughs> that this person either doesn't communicate that way or respond to that kind of communication or they need a little bit more familiarity with me right they need to trust me more before they care or are not annoyed <laughs> by by that by that energy and if i don't show up as myself there's no way for me to know that So now I'm communicating out of context. Now I've put myself in this category of everyone else who is having a conversation basically with themselves for themselves because they've just got something that they want to say. And even if what they've got to say is full of value, full of substance, right? It still hasn't taught them anything about how the person they're communicating with likes to be communicated with? What are they going to respond to? I'm genuinely curious about what they're going to respond to, right? We'll go back to the time that you and I met. We were actually on a, it was a call that we were on for folks that were involved with this sales success summit. And so the things that we've we said to each other after that call and that LinkedIn DM were things about, I like your energy. I love the way you spoke, the way you you showed up. And if neither of us showed up as ourselves that day, we probably aren't even sitting here having this conversation. Right. So that's what you have to get excited about, the opportunity to learn things, even if those things don't flatter you, don't please you, don't fit your agenda. Right. The information in and of itself is going to be valuable. And so you owe it to yourself and the mission and really the other person. Right. To show up as yourself. Now, the key then is to apply what you've learned about how that person communicates. Resist the urge the next day to bring those elements. So bring yourself, right? That conviction, that authenticity, but those elements that 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 individual maybe did not respond to, get curious, get creative, find another way, or you just call it out.
0: Cut! pause or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead and story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I see you on the other side.
1: I like I do a lot of self-deprecating humor. That's how I, when someone does not respond to my personality, uh, I'll say things like, oh, that's dramatic or whatever, because sometimes it is.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I, and I think as well, what's funny is, um, well, what's actually very interesting about what you said, and I hope everybody took note, but it's the idea that being authentic as a communicator doesn't mean you just get to talk about what you want in the way that you want 100% of the time. It's about showing up as who you really are, contextualized to that situation, and in accordance with the human being you're trying to connect with, which I think is really good for people to think about because, hey, if they're not gonna connect with Britney Spears, That's cool, they may connect with something else, but you need to figure out what that is, that's on you. So I like that, I like that. So when it comes to a sales presentation, and by the way, just so we're uh, in agreement, we're defining that. How do you define a sales presentation actually? Let's get an agreement on that first.
1: In my life, a sales presentation is a demo. And I think that calling it a presentation might be a thing that makes it a barrier for some people. Because a presentation is usually not a conversation. You're going to get one or the other. And me, myself, personally, I don't want a presentation. I don't want you to come show me things. My eyes will glaze over. Uh, you will make me sad. So, so for me, it, it's a sales conversation. I actually abhor slides, but I get the to use them sometimes. So then I, what I actually use instead to make it a conversation, is I'll have tabs open each of, instead of slides, each of the tabs is either a website or some page or some element of, say, the product, right, that people commonly want to talk about. And I'll just have those up and ready so that when we get to the part of the conversation where the the buyer has said something that's relevant to one of the tabs I have up, Then I can just go, oh, you know what? I'm glad you said that. I want to show you something. There's no doubt in that buyer's mind at that time that I've listened to them and that my goal here, right, is to fill in their gaps, is to understand where they're coming from and genuinely see if if I even can help them. That's difficult to do with slides because the slides are generally the same for everyone that you talk to. Whereas in this case, I can pull up all of those tabs. But if I've got a tab open for this piece of our software that, you know, drills into automation, you didn't ask me about that. I don't show it to you. You don't even know I have the tab up. So so that's what it's about. It's like I I want it to be curated like their social feed. When you go in and like things on Instagram and you go in and like follow things, that's you telling this very curious social network, what it is that you want to hear about. So in these conversations, that just has to be me live asking those questions. And so now this element of confidence and conviction has to be the thing that keeps you from being afraid of asking those questions when you're not sure that the answer is going to feed your agenda so it's an all-encompassing thing when i'm talking about a sales conversation i'm i'm there to learn which is why i stay away from the presentation which is you know i'm there to to tell
0: mm. well i like that i like that little reframe let's run with that reframe i like that and i think where you've begun intentionally or unintentionally but is listening really because i think what you have said there is instead of curating a ton of slides which create a disconnection It's you're curating a ton of tabs in accordance with your research and you're going to pull up a tab when relevant, which I think is dope. So actually, that's the first lesson for people. Stop creating slides, start creating tabs. But something that I'd love to get your take on is, is let's take it in a sequential way. So somebody does research, somebody figures out what to put open in those tabs. Okay. That's 10 minutes before their sales conversation, right? It's 10 minutes just before. What should they engage in during that time to raise their frequency and energy to ensure it's magnetic? Is there a routine that you have or that you would recommend?
1: Ooh, so I've got... You're saying I've got the tabs up. I've done the research and I am ready.
0: Ready to rock. You've got 10 minutes. What are you going to do in those 10 minutes to show up magnetic?
1: Oh, I'm listening to music already. So I am playing... I'm in, a lot of the time it is Britney Spears. But usually though... It's people demonstrating that skill that I just talked about, right? So I'm listening to Jay-Z, right? I'm listening to people living in their confidence, right? And living in their gifts, their ability to do something. Because that is infectious. At the end of the day, I work in a very crowded space. Everybody and their grandma is trying to teach you how to sell. So... I cannot show up and simply make the case for how someone should teach you how to sell. I have to make the case as to why you should believe me when I tell you that I'm showing up with your best interest at heart, that I'm showing up with proven material, and that that material, however proven, is ever improving. These are the things I have to make you believe. And so if I'm listening to people who have demonstrated an ability to make me believe, it reinforces that confidence. I'm inspired. So I guess that's, that's what it comes down to. I look for things that will inspire me rather than motivate. I leave motivation, you know, up to other things, but inspiration in the moment. And it's even better if that inspiration can come from uh, the person I'm about to talk to or, you know, their, their organization.
0: So it sounds as though... The sequence so far is do your research whilst listening to some music, which gets you in the zone, right? Maybe Britney, maybe Jay-Z, whatever's up your street. And then what you're doing is you are watching or listening to somebody who is operating through their gifts with such passion that it inspires you, not motivates you, but inspires you to channel that energy on your call. Okay, boom. Now we're on the call. All right. Now Nikki's on the call. Now she has no slides. She's got tabs up. But for a lot of people to have the swag to pull that off just tomorrow may be tricky, right? It may be, it may be a process. So how can somebody decondition themselves from death by PowerPoint so they rely less on slides and more on a conversation? What is one thing they could do?
1: So right away, just drop the slides. First of all, I would say that it, if, if they make you comfortable, then come up with two or three but let those be cues. Don't They don't need to telegraph the message. They do not need to be a manuscript for the conversation that's going to happen. They just need to be reminders to you of parts of the conversation or ideas that you know resonate, that you know you have a conviction around, right? It's just like any other time. If I'm If I am speaking to people, I am giving a speech proper. Ain't no way in hell I'm going to stand up there and just read the whole thing off of a page. But maybe I don't have it memorized, you know. So having something there just to say. I used to actually do a version of this when I first learned cold calling. And it had to do with objection handling. So we were given this doc. It was just a Google doc and it had common objections and their rebuttals. One of the things that happens when you're a newer uh salesperson, and it could happen to anyone, if someone hits you with an objection, and maybe you do know kind of how you would overcome it, but you just can't find the words in that moment. Having that doc up meant that I only needed to know one word that was commonly associated with that objection. I can control F for that word, and in an instant, here are the words to this rebuttal that I can, that I'm going to say, right? So I think about any slides that I have as that, right? As just the cues to remind me, oh, she said, you know, that they're working on behavior change when it comes to their DEI initiatives. I don't remember what I, where I go next when someone says behavior, ah, control F behavior. Now it's right there in front of me and I know exactly what to say.
0: Mm, I think that's really interesting because I like to do something similar as well. You know, I was speaking uh, the week before last in Chicago and I had tons of slides which were just pictures because that picture will trigger the story, right? Or trigger that piece. So for me, it's a trigger. So I love that. So ladies and gents, to dissect that, what Nikki's really saying there is at the start, if you feel comfortable, use your slides, right? But the goal is to shift away from that. And one way you could do that is have slides, which maybe have a few words or a picture or two, which has a trigger to launch you into your message. So I love that. I love that. And also as Ms. Simpson would say, don't forget the eye contact, right? Let's, let's make sure we got the eye contact in a virtual setting. So, okay. So let's rewind. We've done the research. We're listening to um, Drake to get hyped and inspired, right? Then we're on the call. We're not relying on slides. We're relying on tabs. We're telling great stories. We feel magnetic. We feel in our zone. There's no death by PowerPoint. All of a sudden, you get slapped with a question which breaks up the conversation or demo. It breaks you from your flow, and it's a pattern interrupt. So you're you're like, you've got this script, right? It's all going for gold, and suddenly you get asked something which is like, it's like next level. It's like, where's that come from? How do you handle questions which come out of nowhere or moments in a way that is magnetic, imperfect, but also connection focused?
1: I mean, look, I like to tell the truth as much as I can. So if it's a question no one's ever asked me before, I say that. But I don't just say it like, as a, like dismissive. Oh, no, no one's ever asked me that before. No, 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 no. I stop everything. Wait. No one's ever asked me that before. So, like, okay, no, I have to I have to understand this. So, you're asking this, 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 this. What made you ask that? Get interested. Get curious. That is how. They interrupt your pattern. There's a reason. Maybe they hate the pattern. Maybe the pattern isn't something that they're responding to. So, let them interrupt it. Right? You want to learn about them. Take your cue from them. So, if someone, absolutely, if someone's asked me a question, and maybe it's something I cover later, right? I can say that if that's the case, but I do. I take it as as an opportunity to break character, so to speak, right? To shatter the veneer, right? Me seller, you buyer. And now we can really start to have a conversation because people who, who actually know each other don't get all flustered when one asks the other a question in the middle of a story. My husband and I do this all the time and he has to interrupt me and ask questions. Otherwise I would never stop talking. So when he does ask me a question, that's the direction the conversation goes in. And it's nothing to be afraid of.
0: Beautiful. So you're, if I'm reading that uh, statement or I suppose message correctly, it's seeing it as a conversation. And in a conversation, people interrupt. And actually, it's a good thing. Figure out why they're interrupting you because there's a reason. Because maybe they ain't vibing with that pattern, right? So maybe you need to shift it up. So it's a signal is, I suppose, what Nikki's saying. It's a signal. What is it teaching you? And get curious. I love that. Okay. Things are going good. Okay, things are now going good. You're back to having a conversation. And now you know you've got five minutes left on the clock until this conversation ends. Now, the classic way that everybody will do is like, okay, let me just recap. Uh, we just learned this, we just learned that. Uh, have you got time next week for a call? Blah, blah, blah. I suppose what is one unique and memorable way to end that conversation or presentation which increases your ability to cut through the noise and stand out as a seller? How do you end that? Conversational presentation?
1: I remind them of my humanity. When people ghost you or slow play you, a little bit of that is them forgetting that you are exactly the same amount of human <laughs> as they are. And so when I'm ending the conversation, the way that I remind them of that is to just call it out. So I'll say, all right, right? You've evaluated software before. I've sold software before. What usually happens is we end this conversation. Maybe we set a meeting, but there's a good chance we never talk to each other again, right? Let's not do that dance, right? I'll have to do the oh, circling back, following up. That annoys you. It frustrates me, right? How do we keep from having to do that dance? Now they're going to tell me what needs to happen in order for us to have another conversation, And now I have something to hold them accountable to, but it's their thing. I'm not holding them accountable to my timeline, right? This is not a situation where I said, hey, like you said that you need to talk to this or that internal stakeholder about how long do you think you need? You meet with them next week, okay, cool. So we'll take two weeks, okay? So this day, is that the day? That's still basically me defining these next steps. And now I'm in this position when I follow up with them is I'm trying to get them to do what I want. And even if we did build rapport and even if they find value in what it is that I'm trying to, to sell them, that's not nearly as strong as them saying like, cause you'll see like their shoulders drop. They kind of chuckle. Sometimes they take a deep breath. Like, ah, oh, we get to be people. Cool. Now I can tell her the truth. Right. And that's what happens. So then they start to spill their guts. They say stuff like, all right, yeah, no, you're right. Realistically, they'll use phrases like that, right? I'll be totally transparent with you. And then they tell me what their actual timeline is for when we'll have another conversation. And now I'm not out here wondering if it was my face, my breath, or something I said that caused them to avoid me for the next few weeks. Uh, Now I know it's just part of their, it's their process, that's just how things things go. And if they deviate from their process, now I can say, Hey, I know you said you wanted to get things done in this time frame in order for me to help. We need to have a conversation this week. What's it looking like for you?
0: I really like that. It reminds me of the magic question from Dr. Zoe Chance. Do you know Zoe's work?
1: I do not
0: is a Yale professor. I talk about her a lot on the show. I had her on, but she has something called the magic question, which is simply what would it take? And then you insert the desired outcome because what happens is, as you know, what you've just mentioned is they move from, can I make this happen? Yes or no, to let me give this person the roadmap to achieve a desired outcome. So really similar to what you said. And I love that. I love that. And also, I don't know about you, but I feel like if I show my humanity, then, and also make it easy for somebody to say no to me. Here's what I mean by that. If if I'm getting ghosted, you know, the tricky thing, and we've both been there actually. How many times have we been scared to get on the phone with somebody? Because we're like, I don't want to tell this person no, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like yes. you know, that humanity allows a person. Look, we're we're both like real, right? We both put our clothes on the same way this morning. I hope we've both been dumped before, we both had issues, we both cried to the movie Coach Carter, like I did last month. You know what I'm saying? Like we've both been through these moments. So I'm with you on that. I like it. I like it, my friend. I love this. So Let me tell you this, or let me ask you this to finish up here. You've spoken about, I suppose, rituals that you'll engage in before a conversation or presentation, what you do inside of it, and then also what you do at the end. Now, is there one thing that you would do after a sales conversation that really helps you separate yourself as well? Going back to that form of effective communication, is there a way you reiterate your message?
1: Yeah, I mean... You got to give the standard summary email. So we'll just we'll leave that where it is. When you first get off of a conversation with someone, that is the height of their enthusiasm for the message that you just delivered. It should be the height of your enthusiasm thus far uh, for wanting to work with this person. And enthusiasm does wonders for delivering a message. So I go directly to LinkedIn. You and I know this, right? We're voice messengers, right? So I go and deliver a LinkedIn voice message. Oh my God, Ravi, I have to tell you, that was so much fun, right? I can't wait to hear from blah, blah, blah. I can't wait to do, so that's what I do, right? I I do not let the summary email stand on its own uh, and I follow up with this voice message. It is even better if during the conversation, I was able to get some idea of who the other stakeholders would be. Then I can add a layer of buyer enablement on top of that, right? Like you've told me, yeah, it's usually two or three of us. I we have a meeting next week and blah blah blah. And you also understand, right, the game of telephone that then ensues, right, where they're trying to basically redo the discovery conversation, but they're doing it as you and they're doing it terribly. Anyway, what you wanna do there then is just copy the other stakeholders on that summary email, right? Like, hey, Ravi, you and I just had a great conversation. Here are the things that we went over, such and such and such and such. Wanted to make sure that I brought you into the conversation because I was just so excited by what Ravi told me uh, that you all are trying to accomplish. That's it. I'm not asking the other stakeholders for anything, but now I'm not waiting for the person I spoke with to be the one that brings them into the conversation. So those are the three things that I try to do. Right. I try to get the names in uh, emails of other stakeholders so I can include them on that summary email. I send the summary email and I send an enthusiastic individual uh, LinkedIn voice message uh, just to communicate my enthusiasm about working with
0: these folks. I love it. There you have it, ladies and gents. Nikki Ivy on how to become a magnetic communicator in your next sales conversation. Not presentation, conversation. That's what we're talking about <laughs> here. Okay. So Nikki, before I let you go, my friend, we spoke about Brittany. We spoke about Jay-Z, Eminem, a few others, right? Miss Simpson. But who's somebody that you look up to today, right now, as an influential communicator that you actually study? You go, that's some dope stuff.
1: My th- Favorite, they're journalists, and my favorite broadcasters right now are ESPN sportscasters. Yes, I'm a huge sports fan, and and there is a lot of sort of like dissent, right? There's a lot of opposing viewpoints, but the goal there, their job is to have that conversation within those opposing viewpoints in points in a way that the viewer can get value from. And they do this so skillfully, so skillfully on that channel. You have you know, these examples of how to be in this sort of corporate work environment the world is watching. But when I tell you these former players and former coaches are showing up all the way as themselves, all the way. And, and that passion is there. That conviction is there. And at the same time, they've done their research. So when I really think about how to complete how to completely show up for a conversation, these folks really do give me inspiration. It probably has something to do with the fact that that's what I studied uh, in college. And you know, one of the things that stuck with me is that when you're watching most of the time the news, at least traditionally, there's two newscasters. That's on purpose, right? A lot of the time it used to be one is a man, one is a woman, because what's supposed to be happening when you watch the evening news is it supposed to feel like a conversation that you're being invited into? So I'm watching these newscasters, they're talking about it. I'm listening. I'm a part of that. I want to make people feel like we're a part of this together. It isn't a presentation where I'm telling you something. It isn't my agenda. And it isn't just me sort of pandering and listening to everything you say. Now we gonna get into it. If a problem is solvable, we're probably gonna solve it better and quicker together. So let's really make that our goal. Let's not just talk about empathy. Let's not just talk about collaboration. Let's be those human beings
0: Hmm. I can so imagine you doing TV as well. I can see your eyes lit up. You're like, hey, that's in the pipeline. But listen, my friend, back to having a conversation, as you said, and letting people in to that conversation is super important. In shows like this, on LinkedIn, in sales conversations, in presentations, is always about making people feel, in my opinion, that you're letting them in. So Nikki, thank you so much for your time, my friend. You know, riddle me this, where can people find out more about you?
1: LinkedIn, I live there. Uh, but, but if you want to have more fun, Instagram and Twitter, The handle for both is no Nikki Ivy, not no as in rejection. <laughs> it's K-N-O-W, Nikki Ivy, as in get to know Nikki Ivy. Uh, you'll hear my, my emotional roller coaster of being a Dallas Cowboys football fan. Uh, you'll see just social commentary on like a lot of nerdy stuff, Star Trek. But I do also talk about sales there as well. <laughs> These are less noisy channels if you really are trying to get in touch with me.
0: Gotcha. There you got it. Uh, There you have it, rather. No Nikki Ivy talking about all things Star Trek, Dallas Cowboys and Cell. So hit her up, ladies and gents. And if you enjoyed the show, you know what you got to do, man. Hit me up with a review. Tell me how you found this episode. And I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope and if not that's dope too either way i got love for you all right i'll see you on the other side